Welcome to the Canon Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Tim Emmett, the lead pastor at Canon, and I hope that this message will help you take your next step with Jesus as He leads us from death to life, from sorrow to joy, from the world as it is to the world as it will be. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're beginning the year with a series on the Bible called The Book That Brings Joy. Um, and it's our hope that through this series, you really will experience the Bible as a book that brings joy instead of confusion, division, uh, boredom, or pain. Uh, we believe that the Bible can be experienced as a book that brings joy, despite the fact that the Bible, as we'll discover, is actually a library, 66 books written over a thousand years by lots of different authors. There are all kinds of genres, and there's a lot in the Bible that can be overwhelming or confusing, and yet those 66 books tell one story in six chapters. You saw those chapters kind of referenced on the video. And so uh, those 66 chapters together tell a single story in six chapters. Those chapters, that story, all lead us to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who brings joy. That's why the Bible can be, and I believe is, a book that brings joy. Now, Having said that, let me tell you for a moment, let me start, uh, kind of restart for a moment, and just tell you why I'm excited about this series, why I've been looking forward to this series. Uh, this is a new year. Happy New Year, right? And uh, many of you perhaps uh, have set goals or made resolutions, and uh, it's not uncommon for people to make resolutions or set goals uh, that involve the Bible. Maybe they decide, maybe some of you have decided, like, I really want to read the whole Bible this year. And so that's a goal that you have or a re- resolution that you have made. Others perhaps have said, well, I, I don't know how much of it I'll read, but I want to read the Bible daily or regularly. I want it to become a more regular part of of my life, a more normal sort of integral part of my relationship with God. And so that could be you this morning. Whether or not you've set a goal or made a resolution to read the whole Bible or to read the Bible daily or regularly, if you are with us in worship, either in person or online, it's probably safe for me to assume that you do want to read the Bible, understand the Bible, and most importantly, somehow encounter and experience God through the Bible. We all know that there's an ex- there, there is a relationship between God and the Bible. It's not just learning about God. We actually want to know God through the Bible. And so my hope and my prayer, really the heart of my, 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 my prayer for this series, is that it will help us encounter God, experience God, meet God through the Bible. And I believe one of the best ways to do that is to kind of get a, get the big picture of the Bible. Uh, many of us who were raised in the church grew up learning and maybe singing and repeating and acting out the stories in the Bible. But just because we know the stories, it doesn't mean that we know the story that, that connects them all together. Uh, I think for a lot of us who've grown up in the church and in the faith, it's kind of like we've been given a bunch of puzzle pieces but nobody ever showed us the picture on the box that tells us kind of how they all fit together. If you, uh, you know, if you're, if you're with us this morning in the sanctuary or joining us online and, you know, you really didn't grow up in the church or in the faith, so to speak, you may feel like you just really kind of have just a few pieces and you're not really sure kind of how they go together or what all the other pieces are. 
Whoever you are, whatever your relationship with the Bible has been, we hope that this series will be helpful to you because I believe that the best kind of most fruitful way for us um, to engage the Bible is to see it as the story of God, the story that uh, really leads us to Jesus. It's a story about what God has done in and for the world through Jesus. And so we're going to read the Bible together as a, as a unified story that leads us to Jesus, six chapters, one story, all of them leading us to Jesus. This morning, as you saw, and even if you didn't, you may guess, we're going to start with chapter one, which is creation. And so I want to take you back to the beginning, not of all things, but a long time ago. Long, long ago, far, far away, to my first day of baseball practice, in my first season of playing baseball, fourth grade. It's a little bizarre that I remember this, but when you hear the story, you'll, rem- you'll know why I remember my first day of baseball in fourth grade. Uh, I can still see the fields, still see where my mother parked the car when we arrived. The coaches weren't there, but some of the kids were. I'd never played baseball on a team before. Played in the neighborhood, played with family and with friends, but not on a team. So I was excited, kind of nervous. We pull up, kids on the field, no coaches. I decide, well, okay, I'm going to get out of the car anyway. Coaches will be coming soon. So I get out of the car, start walking toward the field. Some of the kids, not all of them, but some of them start walking toward me which is kind of surprising but exciting. Like, I don't know these kids. I've not been on this team. But they're walking toward me. And as they approach, the kid kind of in the middle and at the front says, Hi, Danny. I'm not Danny. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Cut it out, Danny. I know it's you. Some of the other kids start chiming in. Come on, Danny. We know it's you. The whole thing was so confusing and kind of unnerving that I turned around and walked back to the car and got in. My mother, of course, was confused. What happened? They kept calling me Danny. Now, I have to be honest. First of all, I'm embarrassed that I turned around and walked back to my car to sit with my mommy. Kind of wish I could go back in time, get between my fourth grade self and the car and tell me, what are you doing? This will not make it better. But the real point is this. What if we are the ones who do not know our names? As confusing and disorienting as it was for me to be confronted with a group of kids who did not know my name and insisted that they did, what if we are the ones who do not know our names? What if we are the ones who do not know, who don't really know that we are the image of God on the earth? That we are, both by gifting and by call, creators and cultivators. I mean, that's what it means to be the image of God, to be a creator and a cultivator. And the Bible insists proclaims, celebrates that all people are made in the image of God in dramatic and sort of defiant contrast to every other 
ancient people and ancient faith we know anything about, the Jewish people believed because their books said that all people, not just rich people and powerful people, not just kings and generals and emperors, all people are the image of God. That image is a gift. It's not earned or deserved. It's not accomplished or achieved. It simply is. We may not live as the image of God. We may live as if we're less or pretend to be more, But the truth is about you, the truth is about me, the truth is about us, that we are the image of God on earth, which means that we are creators and cultivators, each one of us and all of us. But I believe it seems quite clear that our culture, the world around us and also the world within us, encourages us to believe and to live as if we are other and less than the image of God or other and more than the image of God. It's actually quite difficult, quite challenging. I would suggest that it really takes grace, mercy, love, the Son of God, the Spirit of God to rem- for us to remember who we are and to live what we are, which is the image of God on earth. But it's easy for us and tempting for us to believe and to live as if we are other and less than the image of God or other and more than the image of God. I want to just unpack for a moment um, what it means to say that we're creators and cultivators because the first chapter of Genesis, the words we have heard that Chip read and we heard once again, have often been read, have often been heard and then lived out as if to be the image of God means that we are simply consumers, users, and exploiters. Because God says to the first human being, says to humanity, says to us in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And that word subdue has been heard and very often lived out as if it simply means, you know, consume, exploit, destroy, you know, that it's here for you, just do what you will with it. But in Genesis 2, when God places the first human being in the Garden of Eden, The Bible says that God places the human in the garden to till it and to keep it. And as the story unfolds, it really becomes clear that to be in the image of God, to be in the image of this God is to be a creator and a cultivator. Cultivating community, nurturing relationships, cultivating the earth, the world that's been entrusted to us. It's to represent and reflect the glory and love of God in the world he has made to create and to cultivate for the good of the world and the glory of God. You are. I am. We are the image of God. Creators and cultivators, but it's easy and tempting to live as if we are other and lesser other than and more than the image of God. When I was in seminary, I took a class on um, on faith and the arts, 
and my professor, Dr. Westerhoff, actually from Atlanta, uh, in that class told us a story about one day his daughter came home from school and she was barely through the door when she said, Daddy, would you draw me a table? And he said, well, I can, but why don't you draw a table, honey? And she started to cry. So he knew, okay, <laughs> something happened at school. So he asked her what had happened. And she said, well, in art class today, in school today, um, we were supposed to draw tables, and I drew a table, and teacher said my table was bad. And so he decided that uh, they would draw tables together. And so, uh, you know, they kind of got into the living, into the dining room with their table, and they kind of looked at it, and they, they touched it, and they got underneath it and on top of it, and then they kind of got crayons and papers out, and he told her, look, you draw whatever you want. Whatever kind of table you want to draw, you draw that table. And he told us that story to just kind of point out that at a very early age, we start separating kids out as artists and non-artists. You're good at art and you're bad at art. And of course, some people really do have artistic talent, right? Some people really are. They're great at, at, at creating things visually and others struggle to do that. But here's the thing. I think we're increasingly encouraged to believe that there are some people in the world who are creative and most of us aren't. There are creatives and that's a select few, a special few, just as we're encouraged to believe that some people are natural-born leaders and most of us aren't. But there are different types of creativity, and leadership comes in many forms. The best definition of leadership I've ever heard is any action, not any person, not some special person, any action that helps two or more people move toward a shared goal. That's leadership. And that's all of us in one way or another, at one time or another, in one relationship or another. There may be people with special artistic gifts. There may be people who are responsible for leading large groups of people, but the reality is you and I, each of us and all of us, are uh, creators and cultivators. Each of us and all of us are the image of God. But the world around us and sometimes the world within us tells us that we're other and less than the image of God. Of course, we can believe that we are other and more than the image of God. Most of you probably know the name Andrew Carnegie, um, uh, you know, sort of one of the original tycoons, titans of industry, built, U built U.S. Steel, which helped build Pittsburgh, right? And um, very influential, extremely successful, um, controversial, complicated man. Uh, but he did, with all of the massive wealth that his uh, industries generated, he did, he built a lot of libraries. Um, and he also helped build, actually, he entirely funded the East Liberty Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh. It's a, it is a gargantuan facility. It's a beautiful church um, in East Liberty uh, neighborhood of Pittsburgh. And I remember touring this facility with, uh, with a group of pastors, and uh, the tour guide said at one point, he was talking about the building, you know, kind of how long it took to build it and how much it cost, all of which came from 
from Mr. Carnegie, and that uh, following the completion of the construction of the building and the sort of official, you know, um, the blessing of the church and services beginning and the congregation moving in, the pastor called Andrew Carnegie to ask him if he would like to join the church. And Andrew Carnegie's response was, join the church? I own the church. And I understand where he was coming from, but also at the same time, there's something really warped with that perspective. And the reality is that money and power and fame does strange things to our souls. And we begin to believe and to act as if we are more, other and more than the image of God, as if we are God as if since we're more powerful, more wealthy, more famous than most people, we really must be a cut above most people, different, other, innately superior. But the challenging truth is, for some of us, that though we are made in the image of God, we are not God. We're not even the captains of our own souls, We're the image of God, creators and cultivators and leaders, gifted and called to nurture community, cultivate the creation, leave the world better than we found it. We are the image of God, but we're neither less nor more than the image of God. So this is a series about the Bible as a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And I believe that it is, the, uh, uh, because it leads us to Jesus, a book that brings joy. But as we kind of wrap up this morning, uh, I want to ask if what kind of God creates us in his image? It's important to ask that question because the Bible is, and this is part of what really will make it for us a book that brings joy. The Bible is, as we will see week after week, the Bible is first and foremost a book about God, who God is, what God has done, what God is doing and what God will do. It is not first and foremost a book about us, who we are and what we should do. But it is instead a book about God, who God is, what God has done, what God is doing, what God will do. I've put the focus on a minor character on us this morning just because it kind of helps us see each other, uh, you know, as part of the story. But it is important to ask what kind of God chooses to create us, to what kind of God makes us in his image, because that claim that we are the image of God is a claim about God, not just about us. And so the first thing, hopefully this is already obvious, what kind of God creates us in his image? It's a God who is love. First and foremost, love, not first and foremost, power. We are made in the image of a God who is love. We believe, as followers of Jesus, that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God, the one true God, is a communion of love who makes us in and for the communion of God, in and for relationship with each other and others and the world and God. God is love. 
And we are made in the image of that God who is love. We're made in the image of a God who loves, it would seem, to share power. When we think of God, when we hear the word God, the first thing that should really come to mind and to heart is not power but love. And then a God who seems to love sharing power. After all, God creates humanity in his image and immediately begins delegating responsibility to them, sharing power with them. In Genesis 2, when God creates the first human being, God then creates animals and birds and fish and has the human name them, which is an exercise of authority, an exercise of power. It's a very interesting contrast. In the, in the Quran, the Muslim holy book, when the story of creation gets retold, the first human does not name does not name the animals. God names the animals and tells the human what they are named. But in the Bible, God welcomes the partnership, the participation of human beings in the exercise of power, the exercise of authority. God plants a garden, but then entrusts its care to human beings, puts humans there to till it and to keep it. This isn't Zeus thundering from Olympus, casting down lightning bolts. This is a God who walks with us in the garden in the cool of the day, who makes us in his image as creators and cultivators to partner with him in the ongoing creation and cultivation of the world, who seems to enjoy sharing power with us. which should not surprise us then that when God, when we kind of mess it up, when we find it much easier to destroy than create, to tear down instead of cultivating, that God does not walk away from us or give up on us, but sent Jesus into the world and onto the cross to be, as it says in the book of Colossians, the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, we see the image of God, which means both the image of God, but also the image of us. Jesus is what we were made and are saved to be. In Jesus, we see what it means to live our lives as the image we are. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, we see the God who is love with us as one of us, calling us to become the creators and cultivators we were made and are saved to be for the good of the world and the glory of God. The image of God is a gift and a call. It is what we are. It is who we are. It is our name. And we are called to live out that name in the world for the good of the world and the glory of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. We hope that this message will help you have a great week by helping you walk in faith, hope, and love. 
Looking for more information about Canon? Check us out on the web at canonchurch.org or follow us on Facebook at Canon UMC and Instagram at Canon Church 2424.